Hello and welcome to Beneath the Staircase. We are your beguiling hosts, Kelly. Hey, and I'm Kelly too. Two crazy ladies who love nothing more than to talk ghosts and everything paranormal. Join us, won't you? And now for the paranormal news. There is a park 15 minutes north of downtown Omaha called Hummel Park, and it's rumored to be an ancient Native American burial ground. These 200 acres of land are filled with steep hills, winding roads, and as it would seem, plenty of paranormal activity. Investigators say it is most well-known for steps that many say do not have the same number going up as they do going down. The most recent activity, I know, right? <laughs> the most recent activity to happen around the park was back in 2005 when 12-year-old Amber Harris disappeared after getting off her school bus. Six months later, her skeletal remains were found in Hummel Park. Paul Kosis joined in on the investigation of the park. He creates paranormal devices to try to help communicate with the other side. The electric, electric magnetic fields are frequencies that his devices use to help detect energy in spaces he investigates. His spirit pods used during the Hummel Park investigation helped pick up some of these crazy disturbances. This article came out of a local news station in Nebraska. This park is well known for its paranormal activity, and we will post more information on our website. That's www.beneaththestaircase.com for those who are interested in learning more. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about the Countess Elizabeth Battery, and I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and she was born in August 7th, 1560, in the Kingdom of Hungary to a prominent noble family. And to this day, she is in the Book of Guinness World Records as the most well-known for being the most prolific female murderer in the Western world. Oh, shit. <laughs> Talk about goals, okay? <laughs> Elizabeth was beautiful, wealthy, and from a very powerful family. The Battery family at this time ruled Transylvania, mm. which was with, within the Kingdom of Hungary, and she was betrothed for marriage at a young age of about 11 or 12. Yeah, sounds like, you know, I would never do that. Um, so, but this was typical for the time. Um, and you probably know because families made their political moves by marrying off their children to other well-known families, powerful families. Sometimes there's incest, but that's a whole other thing. You know, a little incest. And um, I think actually her parents had uh, – anyways, <laughs> we won't go there. That's, that's not what this is about. <laughs> well, wait. Let's, let's talk a little more. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> So the story goes that um, Elizabeth had an affair with a young man before her wedding took place. Now, think about this, this is when she was 12 or 13. Um, Elizabeth gets pregnant, had a daughter who is whisked away and raised in secret. So despite all this, her marriage plans go off without a hitch. Mm. <laughs> and she marries at the young age of 14 to a 19-year-old count. And again, I'm going to butcher his name, Ferenz Nadzestein. Mm. And so he did marry her, but he had heard the story of his wife, you know, sleeping with somebody, maybe having a baby. And apparently the count had the man castrated and threw his little bits and pieces for the dogs to eat. Oh, whoa. That's very Game of Thrones. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what it sounded like to me, too. And so after, you know, their honeymoon, everything's all good again. <laughs> <laughs> she moved Where did they go? 
And she moves into their castle, which was a gift from her husband. And um, time goes on. They have four children. And her husband's away from home a lot, so it's not even certain that they are his. He's um, in the military and he's oh, off dang, on campaigns. Girl. Yeah, and the rumors are that Elizabeth has took many lovers and while she was home alone running the castle and their large estate. Hmm. So, husband dies at the age of 43 in 1604, and... That leaves Elizabeth as the head of multiple estates. She's the most wealthy and powerful woman in the land. And after his death is when people started talking about the evil and sadistic things Elizabeth may have been up to. So the locals were saying that she took girls into her castle to torture, first having access to servants, but then expanding her horizons to um, draw upon the young local girls. And so these stories were ignored because who cares about servants and peasants, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and in 1609, um, there was a formal report made, though, of um, Elizabeth murdering women from other noble families. So, you know, they have money, so it matters now. Mm. Um, <laughs> as Elizabeth was so aloft, she was taking in, you know, the young girls from other families so that they could learn how to be respectable and genteel women. Um, so she started to prey upon and torture these girls as well. Mm. And so people were saying that Elizabeth was drinking the blood and bathing in the blood of these young girls, thinking that would keep her beautiful. And this gave her the name that we know her by today, which is Countess Dracula or the Blood Countess. So in 1610, George Terzo was ordered by the king uh, Matthias II, to look into these reports. And after some investigating and gathering stories from 300 people who lived on her estates around her castle and things like that, George Churzo determined that she had tortured or killed more than 600 girls. Oh, and my God. Where do you have time for that? I don't yeah. even know. And one, uh, one witness claimed that she kept a list of all her victims in a diary and but this diary was never found and there's been lots of movies and books and things written on this on this story i don't know if you've seen any of them i don't think lots so of, no lots of different there's like english movies all different all over the world um and uh, i remember seeing you know her sitting at her desk after she'd done all these things and writing her these names down so but it was never found so it's just just uh, you know they'll never be able to prove that right um so in 1611, um, her servants were put on trial and interrogated for assisting with these murders. And the servants told the authorities of the torture of these servant girls and what they had to endure um, at the request of Elizabeth or by her own hand. And some of these included sticking needles under their fingernails, <gasps> c- covering the girls in water and being left them out or leaving them out to freeze to death. Oh my god! Covering their skin in honey so bugs would eat them alive. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> Hot pokers pressed into their skin, <sighs> sewing their lips together, <gasps> using scissors to cut off the sensitive parts of the bodies. If no, you know what I mean. no. Yeah, scissors. And scissors. That would take forever. Pretty sharp. They'd have to be pretty sharp. Oh, <laughs> and then. Some beaten to death. Which, oh, I don't know which would have been the best one. Uh, I don't know which I would have picked for myself. I think I would have picked for it being frozen. I think so. Slow, right? Yeah. Or oh, well, well, the hot poker or frozen. 
Yeah. <laughs> if anybody wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Her, so her accomplices, um, the servants, were found guilty and executed. But you may be wondering why Elizabeth herself was never put on trial. So it's said that it's because of her high standing. She was never, she never had to be, um, not subdued to that. That's what I'm looking for. She never had to be. Uh, subjected? Subjected. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, so she was found guilty herself and walled up in a windowless room in her castle with tiny holes only big enough to pass food and water through. And this is where Elizabeth would die in 1614 at the age of 54. So how long was she in there? So the trial um, was in 1611, um, so about three years. Three years, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gnarly. Okay, so I am talking about Jur Grando, and I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. Um, the story of Jur Grando is said to be the first documented, documented case of vampirism. Is that oh, the word? Vampirism? Vampirism. <laughs> Whatever. In Europe. <laughs> he is recorded to have lived in a small Isturian village <laughs> called Kringa in Croatia during the 17th century. He died in 1656, leaving behind a widow and a wake of terror that would haunt the small village for 16 years. Wow. Although little is known about Grando's life, there has been speculation that he may have just been an ordinary villager prior to his death, and some sources claim that he had a nasty disposition. So he was a dick. In 1656, he died and is said to have been buried in the local cemetery by the village priest. Shortly after his burial, however, it was reported by the local population that he had been seen wandering around the village and even <gasps> knocking on the doors of certain houses. Avon calling. <laughs> <laughs> According to a 17th century historian, the people living in the countryside of the Istrian Peninsula believed in a type of vampire known as Strigon, also probably mispronounced. These are believed to have been sorcerers who fed on the blood of children during their lifetimes. When they died, they became the undead, Strigon, and wandered around their villages around midnight. The Strigon is also said to have a habit of knocking on the doors of houses, and within a few days, someone from the house would die. Yes. I've never heard of this. This is crazy. The historian also wrote that the villagers believed that the Strigon had the ability to silently creep into their beds to sleep with their women. In the case of Gergrando, every night he would visit his widow. His rancid corpse and horrifying face, which looked <laughs> like he was smiling and somehow gasping for breath at the same time, would terrorize and rape her every night for 16 years, forcing what he thought were her marital duties on her well after his death. Jesus. Yeah. So after 16 years of terror, the villagers assembled a group of brave men to kill him. First, they tried again. to yes, <laughs> die again. Um, first, they tried to stab him in the chest with a hawthorn stick, but the stick could not penetrate his skin. Upon failure, they tried to exorcise the demon from Jur's body, but that didn't work either. 
Finally, they were able to kill Jur by sawing off his head. As soon as the saw cut into his skin, Jur's, Jur's head popped open and a blood-curdling scream escaped his mouth. Blood flowed from his wound and flooded the graveyard, and the blood of his victims returned to the earth. For some modern-day villagers, the vampire is viewed less as a source of fear and more as a source of income, as they hope to use this story as a means of attracting tourists to their village. They've even opened a vampire-themed bar. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's intense. It's intense. Intense one, yeah. Holy... Okay, so the tweet for this week is called um, The Ryan Thread, and the handle was at Lust for Love, and this account doesn't exist anymore. So if you do happen to look this up afterwards, um, you'll find other people's accounts of it through you know, YouTube videos or their own blogs. Um, so this particular thread is about a boy or a man who is asked to look after his neighbor's dog. So he goes in and knocks on the door, and um, he knows it's a single woman living on her own, but he's never been inside her house before. And um, it's a dark house. It's very strange. There's no lights. None of the overhead lights work. And so she keeps touching him anytime she's she's talking to him, explaining, you know, she's going to be gone. You need to look after the dog. I only keep the dog in the crate. Don't let him out of the crate unless he needs to pee. So he's like, okay, whatever. I'm going like, to save this life. dog. <laughs> this dog, I'm going to save him. So I won't go through the whole thing, but it's a creepy setup. Um, before he even goes back the next night to sleep over, he's supposed to sleep there for four days and he's going to be paid for all of this. Um, it's a thread that goes over what happens to him during that first night. There's pictures and videos. Um, he's hearing sounds. The front door it can be locked from the inside and outside. So he notes that if he has to run, he has to have the key <gasps> to unlock it from the inside. And he doesn't know if he does, if he has to run, if he'll be able to do it in time. And there's a creepy doll in one of the rooms. This woman lives alone. Her kids are grown up and gone. And she has just one doll. And one of he has a picture and video. He goes in the room to investigate a couple times. And one of his followers says, like, dude, the doll's head moved from the last time you were in there. Oh. I won't go into it anymore, but it's an interesting one. Okay, and we'll have that um, info up on our website? Yep, I'll have the info, maybe some some screenshots if you guys want to check it out. Awesome. I can't wait to read that one. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we have. Please join us next week when we discuss more spooky tales of the paranormal. We'll see you beneath the staircase.